And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Recording. Recording. It's yep, going. Yep. Okay, good. Cool. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. Dylan? <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I can't hear you too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down a little? <laughs> oh, that's much better. Yeah. Huh? Yes. Fine. I can hear you now, Dylan. Uh, God. Clear and plain and coming through fine. <laughs> Jen is dying. <laughs> I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. That, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. <laughs> it's a podcast. Okay, sorry. Um. Now then, Dylan, you know that we've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the podcast. Yeah. The podcast, Dylan. <laughs> the hydrogen podcast. Welcome to the Great Movies Pod, a retrospective <laughs> film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the movies covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Nick Fulton. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Dimitri. <laughs> I'm Dylan Quayer. That they both start with a D was just like a little I know, it worked pretty well. Yeah. So you guys um, couldn't see this because it was on Zoom, but Jenna was laughing so hard on her exercise ball. I just that kept, she kept falling like, out of frame. Out of frame. <laughs> my bouncy yoga ball could no longer support my laughing. We, we briefly lost you. Uh, uh, I'm still here. I'm, on this week's episode, we are talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Doctor Strange, where Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> plays a, a, a wizard, I think. Is that what that movie's he about? He does magic with his hands. So yeah, I think that's wizard shit. Just I've, like Sterling I've, hated in this movie. I, I saw the last two Avengers movie and I'm like, what is go- what is this dude doing? Like, what is going on? Have you Who's not seen character? Doctor Strange? No. Oh, yeah. Um, is, he a, is he a wizard? Is that like what it is? Is it a... He's, yeah. uh, he's the Sorcerer Supreme. I am so sorry that I know this. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a temporal agent. He's the Sorcerer Supreme. He does magic with his hands and Benedict Wong is there too. So that's cool. Yeah. I don't know. So I think they need at least one Asian person. In a... Yeah, Doctor, yeah. Doctor Strange is okay. It's okay. They uh, they have a lot of Asian people, but they usually like cake them in makeup and have them be, play like a creature instead of an actual person. I was gonna say play like an alien of some kind. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or or they have Tilda Swinton play them. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, no. On this week's episode, we are talking about Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb from 1964, directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Kubrick with Terry Southern and Peter George, based on George's book Red Alert, with cinematography by Gilbert Taylor and starring Slim Pickens, Sterling Hayden, George C. Scott, Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, and Peter Sellers. And so James you both, Earl Jones. Yeah, and well, <laughs> James Earl Jones has a. And one a lady. One lady. Who do you guys know who that lady is? No. It was a uh, Carol Reed's stepdaughter, apparently. Oh, okay. Whoa. Interesting. <laughs> See, the one fun fact about that lady, um, she's the only woman who appears in the film. Because not only does she obviously have the only 
speaking role by women in the film, she's also the woman in the Playboy magazine that they're looking at on the oh my God. airplane. It's the same actress they have. I didn't, <laughs> so she's literally incredible. the only woman who appears in the film. Yeah, and... I guess that means there's zero clothed women in the exactly. film. Exactly. They already had her like lounging in a, you know, bikini type situation, so mm. yeah. Which was a weird thing for someone to be wearing indoors in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. She looked like she was sunbathing with the lamp on Georgie Scott's bedside. That is what it looked like, yeah. She's very funny in that scene. I, I like she's her. Great. She's, she's very funny in that, in that scene, scene, yeah. I love that scene. Um, Where she's so trying you... to relay the information to George C. Scott as he's taking a shit. <laughs> yeah, just screaming back and forth. Oh, God. Uh, you both have seen this movie, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about uh, Kubrick before on our very first, uh, our first official yeah. episode. It's true. It's true. But I want to talk about our history with this movie. And Jana, I think yeah, you had said that I, I have you a very, that... I have a very significant origin story with this movie. Um, so I saw this the first time in my freshman year high school world history class. Um, why? I don't know. Um, although watching it last night, I made that comment, and Matt was like, "Oh, we watched it in, in a junior high history class." So apparently, that's a thing which, fine, um, but I hated it. Like, I <laughs> hated it the first time I saw it. Um, I didn't think it was funny. I, like, it really stressed me out. Um, I, I did not understand what was so funny about the threat of nuclear annihilation. Like, everybody's going to die. Why Why are people laughing? Um, to the point where I, like, turned my back and stopped watching the movie and got detention for the first time ever in my entire life because the teacher wrote me up for... <laughs> Wow. Like turning my back and not engaging with the film, um, so I've I've had a very strange, for lack of a better word, history with Doctor Strangelove. I mean, it's in the atmosphere, right? I know all the jokes, I know all the bits. I've seen clips of it a million times, but I never sat down to rewatch it until last night. So that was my my first time circling back to Doctor Strangelove. Dylan, what was the first thing you ever got detention for? <laughs> I never got detention. Oh. Uh, good for you. Uh, I don't know. I didn't do anything interesting. I mean... My first three years of elementary school, though, I was in the principal's office every year. So, and then yeah. changed my ways. Yeah. T- t- I mean, turn- turning your back and-, and talking to somebody and refusing to watch a movie is a very boring thing to have gotten attention for. It's not like I was, like, smoking under the bleachers or something. Yeah. So, Nick, you have know. you ever gotten to detention? I, don't, I was trying to think. I don't think so. I, did, I certainly never got like a after school or an in school suspension. Yeah, this was like a like, like it was like in it was like lunch detention. It was like okay, on your lunch break, you have to come sit here. Kind did of thing. you have a whole Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez? Uh, no, it was literally no. like me and one other person while the teacher ate lunch at their desk. It was uh, very uh, anticlimactic. The, yeah, there were no hijinks sure. involved at all. No, not a single gotcha. high drink. <laughs> not a single high drink. No relevations about how you've lived your life in high school. No, no, none. Sadly, fair enough. <laughs> no, Dad. What about you? <laughs> so, Dylan, you've also you've also seen this before. Oh yeah. Uh, when I was a little kid, we had a few movies bought on our iTunes account that I would just rewatch over and over again. <laughs> That's a wild. I know. <laughs> Nick and I both were like, "I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> Little kid and iTunes account is a horror. Yeah, story. like like fifth, like fifth and sixth grade. Like my parents bought a few movies on the iTunes account, like 
to watch. I remember when I got an iTunes account and I had used it to download an episode of Grey's Anatomy that I had not been able to watch that week. And I paid like $3 and spent like two hours waiting for the episode to download so that I could watch it on my laptop. I remember having Betamax. Sure. <laughs> did you actually have Betamax? We did, yeah. Not as not nearly as many as just like standard VHS. Yeah, we just we had we're straight up VHS household in my I, yeah. I don't I don't know what Betamax is. Isn't that the thing from Big Hero Six, the big white robot? Actually, I, is that what they named that robot? I have I no idea. So. It might be. It, it's a so Dylan, do you remember when Blu-rays were coming out and yeah. there was also but there was also HD DVDs? For like yeah. a hot minute, and then it was like, what's going to win, HD DVD or Blu-ray, and then Blu-ray won? Yeah. That was like Betamax and VHS. Mm-hmm. There was like, it was ah. like an, an alternative technology ah. that did not catch on. Gotcha. And apparently it was better quality? Yeah. I That's absolutely what I've heard. So, naturally, VHS won? Yeah, na- yeah. naturally, yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've seen this before <laughs> numerous times, or is this oh, uh, time number it, two? This is... I've seen it more than Ebert who mentioned in his book he's seen it 10 times i've seen it probably 40 times Jeez. like nice. i could i haven't seen this movie in like six years now and i could still quote the whole thing almost straight through with the movie um so that was interesting i didn't expect that to still be my memory but it was there i'll be saying that once we uh finally get to mall rats in book four <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh-huh sure yeah, I'd rewatch this um, with Nelly. I, I looked at my letterboxed uh, log date, and <laughs> we watched this four days before we, uh, well, she had our second baby. It was like something that we just put on to, she wanted something funny, and I was like, well, let's watch this. It's funny. Uh-huh. Did she like Which it? it is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is funny. It's, it's funny. It's, it's incredibly funny. It's a little bit dark, but I... I think. Oh, oh, a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it needs to be dark for the funny to work and vice versa, I think. Yeah. So this movie, if people um, aren't familiar with it, which is, I would be surprised by. Probably unlikely. Yeah. Uh, We can talk about like sort of its uh, award history because it was nominated for a few things. It was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Adapted Screenplay, and Actor. Yeah. So we got more, four noms. Like and mu- actor and actor. Much more attention than I'd than I'd realized. I, I didn't realize yeah. that it was like a best best picture nominee and everything. Yeah, it lost all of those. My Fair Lady was the big uh picture yeah. that year. So it lost out to Best Picture and Best Director. And Best um, Actor. And uh, yeah, and Best Actor, which um not where I would have voted personally. No. I'm going to come in here with the hot take and say I probably would have voted for My Fair Lady. Really? That's weird. I, I would have been voting with my heart instead of my head, but that's usually how I vote in things anyway. I would have probably, actually, I'd probably vote for Mary Poppins over everything. I was going to say, Mary Poppins is, yeah, more my my pick. Um, this but, was a big uh, musicals year. Yeah, there was it, was. Another, it was one of the last, like... There's another musical on the list, too, isn't there? Um... I mean, there's some other ones floating around. If you count um, Hard Day's Night, that was this year. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. That's vaguely a musical, um, which we'll get to. Uh, oh, Unsinkable Molly Brown. Debbie, Debbie yes, that, yeah, that, 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 I knew there was another musical. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I will say though the fact that Rex Harrison beat Peter Sellers that yeah. is absolutely no. Yeah, it's not even good. as much as I like My Fair Lady. Sure. Uh, yeah. How no. did George C. Scott not get a Best Supporting? How did George C. Scott not get a Best? <laughs> and yeah, especially when there's Peter Ustinov and Topkapi. Topkapi. I've heard that's Topkapi. good. I've never seen it, but never seen it. That that one. And I love um, Peter Ustinov, so I'm not like gonna begrudge him. But has anybody yeah. seen Zorba the Greek? No. no. Yeah, that, was, that did very well this year. It did do well this year. Yeah. So this movie also, um, it's landed. It's got the number three spot on the AFI um, 100 Years 100 Laughs, mm-hmm. and I believe it is number 28. No, 30 something. Where is it? 39 on the AFI Top 100. I got sort of in the weeds last night trying to figure out why exactly this counts as an American film for the AFI list. <laughs> Mm. Um, I mean, it has American characters in it, obviously, but it's a Stanley Kubrick Oosh. movie. It was made, it, it was filmed entirely, as far as I can tell, in England. Um, I don't know. I, I don't understand yeah. the AFI rules. Yeah, neither do I, and I, they're kind of like fast and loose with them, I think. they. So they shot it in England, and there's a story that um, Sellers was supposed to play the King Kong role, mm-hmm. and he... Yep didn't want to and then ended up hurting himself whether or not that injury was real or his way of getting out of doing that role is um i think debated interesting because he he, it was like a little bit too much on his plate and he didn't think he could do that accent yeah that's what ebert says in the essay is that Mm -hmm. it was based on his trepidation about the sort of southern accent yeah so they ended up hiring Slim Pickens, who um, Kubrick, I think, was an early script writer for the only picture that Brando ever directed called One-Eyed Jacks. Mm-hmm. And Slim Pickens plays one of the bad guys in that. So Kubrick had known him from that. He sort of thought that that was the exact type of person he wanted to play this role. So they hired him after Sellers got hurt. And they're like, all right, we need to fly you over because we're shooting the movie and we're going to get behind. And he didn't even have a... Uh, a passport like he'd never left the country before so they had to like rush everything so that he could wow. get over there but yeah it was definitely shot not yeah. in america yeah i don't know i guess i think you're right though afi they they play fast and loose they want to be able to include a film yeah, <laughs> list. yeah. they'll figure out a way to make it work i will yeah. say i would have never guessed what was number two and number one on their list the the 100 years 100 laughs yeah what was ahead of dr strange though isn't it it's tootsie and some like it hot yeah some like mm-hmm. it hot is very funny i have not seen oh tootsie. oh yeah it's just uh i'm just surprised for that tootsie's too yeah and that some like it hot is higher than dr strange love is what i would say yeah this well i want a gigantic digression about this afi list like a lot of these movies are very funny, but they're like the graduate at number nine. What? What? <laughs> like, I, know. I love the graduate. It's, it has it's some, got some funny good laughs. P- plastics. Like we all, we all like to, to laugh <laughs> the at the expense of plastics, but like, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously the apartment should be number one. Ha. Mm. Okay. Honestly, I, I'm just mad that they put bringing up baby one spot ahead of the Philadelphia story. Um, yeah. That's flip, bananas. Flip those. Come on. I uh, would, I mean, problematic fave, but I would probably put Annie Hall number one. Like, that's, uh, 
Or another problematic fave. Maybe Blazing, Blazing Saddles. Saddles. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. Less problematic than Annie Hall, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say maybe A Fish Called Wanda would be my number one. I mean, air, so Airplane at number 10. Well, no, okay, no, Blazing Saddles at number six is to me the first one that I'm like, that is a straight up laugh out loud comedy. Um, as opposed to just yeah. like an excellent movie that is also very funny, which mm. I feel like is more what they're leaning into here. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. If, if I'm going for pure how much I laugh in a movie, mm-hmm. I think, I actually think my number one would be Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> <laughs> Put it number one right on the list. Why not? It was perfect. So. Oh, God. I'm still laughing at that movie, too. Yeah. I got to find that shirt. I really want that fish shirt. The I, fish I've shirt. looked. I've looked I tried for googling so it for you, but it was impossible. You yeah, Google Jamie right. Dornan shirt, and you just get results of shirts with Jamie Dornan's with Jamie face Dornan. on them. Yeah, yeah, I don't want that. No. So I tried like <laughs> you looking could probably up pull just that off too, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've tried looking up like button-down fish pattern T-shirt. I've tried all these combinations, and it's just they maybe they made it special for him, but uh, I want it. Isn't there special. an app that like you can like take a picture of a, a shirt or something and? They'll find a match for it online with like Shazam for fashion. Basically, I think there's something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there might be a way to do like I, I don't know how technology works, but like you can do like reverse image searches, right? Where so you can yeah, re- yeah. search images. All I mean, if you try to do that, it'll just be like it's from this movie. So yeah, you would need something more fashion focused. Um, did you did you watch Barb and Star yesterday, Nick? Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, okay. did we all watch it this weekend? Okay, cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Did you guys like it? The end of the pod. Yeah, yeah, it was okay. really funny. All right. It was perfect. I Very gave it five funny. out of five on Letterboxd. I recommend. Hi. I saw someone commenting, and I couldn't agree more, that when you spend $20 to rent something, like, one, they should let you rent slash buy it. But if they're not going to do that, mm. like, you should have, like, a window. Like, when you got a video from Blockbuster to keep aging myself, it's not like you watched it once and you had to bring it back. You had it for your three days, and if you loved it, you could watch it again. And that's what they should do with these expensive rentals, because I really already want to watch Barb and Star again. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> it's like before the little three-day, two- or three-day window expires. Come on. Yeah, iTunes is a two-day window. Like, give us five days. I'm yeah, just a little bit more time. Thing. Yeah, especially, yeah. <sighs> yeah, we can talk about that later. Right. Yeah. So, on to Dr. Strangelove. Sure. The movie opens with a caveat that basically says the Air Force claims that this couldn't ever happen. Okay, so I think this is what freaked me out the first time I watched it. Like, that was, seeing that come up, I'm like, you know, I think when I was, like, 13 and watching this the first time, that immediately made me go, why do they? Why are they saying that? Why, why mm-hmm. do they have to put that in the movie? Pr- <laughs> that means this could happen. Exactly. Yeah, protesting a little too much. Exactly, yeah. Put it's me like on me. edge. It's like me hearing that Promising Young Woman is not the female Joker. I'm like, wait, does yes, that mean it's exactly. the female Joker? I'm so mad that somebody said that and that now that's out in the atmosphere. I am furious at that person. <laughs> I, and I can't for the life of me remember where I, How where dare I they? saw that. Anyways, uh, so then after that little opening crawl is a narrator, which is also a little bit weird because the narrator like doesn't really persists throughout the movie i think it pops up like maybe one other time later in the movie but basically it tells you that russia is supposedly building this doomsday device which we'll learn a little bit more about later mm-hmm. um the credits to this movie the opening credits i think are pretty iconic with so the, like, good the, the style of the lettering mm-hmm. i think it's the best text ever in i, opening I love really it good. it's really good yeah, yeah. And it's all done over 
like a very sexual uh, plane refueling yeah. scene. I, I thought it was interesting um, in the Wikipedia page. One of the there's two points of the themes section. The first one is a satire of the Cold War, and the other one is just literally refer- like titled sex. Titled sex. Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed and, that also. And like it's, it, I can't find it right now, but it seems like Kubrick got a call from someone and was like, "Yes, yo, this whole movie with the bombs trying to get to the spot is like a bunch of sperm and an egg, and it's this whole movie's about sex." And and Kubrick was like, "You're the first person." Finally, to that somebody to me. gets and, it. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there like, who didn't get that? This yeah. movie 19, is 1964, man. People, things, I things guess, are but like. <laughs> This movie is the epitome of Robert California's The Whole World is Sex. You're going to want to hear the sexual metaphor. Was that not the... All life is sex. And all sex is competition. Mm -hmm. And there are no rules to that game. That wasn't so perverted now, was it? Sort of (laughs) speech that he gives to Jim Halpert. It's uh, not subtle no not, nothing about this movie is particularly subtle which is fine no. it's not aiming yeah. for subtlety no yeah. yeah i don't think a single thing in this no. movie is subtle <laughs> no not what he's going for which is why it's so good yeah so the movie then opens on uh ripper who's a, a general played by sterling hayden who um is basically sort of a lone wolf on his own telling them to transmit a plan called plan r and and then he has a, an order out to impound all private radios and then some alarms start going off and we learn more about what plan r is um we sort of like piece bits together of it over the next few scenes like yeah with Ripper doing this, um, Captain Group Captain Mandrake, who is Peter Seller, one of his three characters, um, he's like a Royal Air Force commander mm-hmm. who's there with Ripper, and then um, on an exchange program, they say, yeah. <laughs> is that the ex- explanation they give? As an ex- yeah, they okay. say it's yeah. like the the Royal Air Force exchange program or something. Just, was, just an excuse to have a British officer at this uh, yes. American base. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we learn like from them and then the next scene with uh, George C. Scott and his secretary, I guess, technically. He says his it's sec- a secretary. Yeah, they say secretary. Uh, it's, yeah. There's a little bit more to their relationship than just that. <laughs> um, but basically, plan R is like an attack on Moscow. Right. Yeah, it's like releasing bombs. Yeah. But it's so, like a specific plan where you cannot contact the planes. There's there's like, a lot of so one of the things about this movie <laughs> is like there's a lot of business, right? Like mm-hmm, and I, yes. I know that's you you gotta have it both ways, but it's incredibly dense in terms of the like plotting of okay, so it's the specific plan and this is why they can't call them back and this is how the codes work and you have to have this like three digit code and it has to go into this box with this receiver like it is insanely densely plotted for a movie <laughs> luckily, that is a ridiculous think, satire it doesn't really matter luckily i think for how dense it is 
like the density makes it as stupidly funny as yeah. it is mm-hmm. most of the time. I think it's pointed, yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, that works. just stuck out to me on this watch where I'm like, I'm actually having to try to follow what is happening because I also like realized that when I watched it the first time and, and got mad and didn't pay that much attention, that I had just totally remembered like a bunch of stuff differently just because it's like I wasn't bothering to connect the dots. I'm like, okay, so they do actually explain basically everything and why, like, mm-hmm. there's an explanation for everything. <laughs> it's yeah. very yeah. convoluted, it, but it's there. It just hap- yeah, it happens very fast. So, basically, mm-hmm. the attack plan R gets sent up to um, the plane that has Slim Pickens and James Earl Jones and those guys in it. They decode it and go, well, if if they're giving us the attack plan, then it must be real. Like if it's from, if it's from Ripper, then what Slim Pickens says, he wouldn't have given that unless the Ruskies had already attacked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's one, and I, I think it's the first scene when we're in that, um, the, fighter pilot where slim pickens is like picking through a box of stuff mm-hmm. like uh condoms and <laughs> some other, yes. some other things for whatever yes. reason yeah mm-hmm. yeah just all kinds of like yeah weird knickknacks uh, knickknacks yeah. yeah so this movie was supposed to debut on the day that um november 22nd 1963 <laughs> yeah it's not an important date at <laughs> yeah. all yeah, so it was supposed to debut on the day that JFK was assassinated. They ended up pulling it um, for, a f- I-, I guess, the, like the obvious reason. But also, that line originally, when um, Slim Pickens is looking through all that stuff, and he says, shoot, a fella could have a pretty good time in Vegas with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very dubbed over. Well, yeah, yeah very dubbed over. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah, it's very clear that he was not originally saying that because the line is uh dallas yeah a guy could have a pretty good weekend in dallas with all this stuff and then Mm. they had to cut that out so and then do you guys know the um the original final scene yes Yes. yeah i've seen the picture i'm gonna have a lot of thoughts on that final scene yeah so i'm glad they didn't do it uh i'm very very glad they did not do what was supposed to be a cream pie fight in the war room Mm mm-hmm but there was supposed to be a line that um, General Turgeon said, yeah. says, which is, gentlemen, our gallant young president has been struck down in his prime, which um, would not have hit quite as well. It would not have, at, at yeah. At the end of 1964. It would have given a different tone than they were actually looking for. Yeah. It's, it is amazing how often stuff like that happens, like lines that seem completely Innocent innocuous and, yeah, that then yeah. due to some inevitably terrible thing that happens in the world they're like yeah. oh can't have that now that's gonna freak people out you know they talk about movies that came out just like in october of 19 of 2001 yeah every mm-hmm. movie that came out in october of 2001 that had to cut out references to things or like yeah i, I was watching a episode of friends the other night that i remember it has a seat. It's whatever. It's Monica and Chandler are going on their honeymoon and like they're trying to like get through security at the airport and stuff. And like there's, I be- believe, originally... wait, they got married. Yeah, spoiler Whoa. alert for friends. Monica and Chandler eventually <laughs> get married. I'm just um, kidding. But there's a scene where when it originally aired, there was like a joke about like we should say we, like we should call in a bomb threat or something to like get rid of these crowds or whatever. Like just sort of like a jokey thing that like you know not super tasteful regardless, but not a huge deal that had to be completely scrubbed from the episode because mm-hmm. it was uh, fall of 2001. <laughs> so now you can't make jokes about airport security anymore. So yeah, it's everywhere. 
Can I just very quickly, because I, I don't know um, the best other time to bring it up. I just want to say that I think Sterling Hayden mm-hmm. is so good in this movie. Um, I love, I mean, I feel like Peter Sellers gets, you know, all the attention, which he should. He's fantastic and he plays three parts. And then Ebert spends the entire essay talking about George C. Scott. Also As fair, a truly tremendous performance. But Sterling Hayden is so funny in this movie, like with just the maybe the mm-hmm. most ridiculous character in the whole thing. Um, and I was trying to figure out what I associate him with, and it's mostly The Godfather. He's Captain McCluskey in The Godfather, but I realized he's also the long goodbye, um, the old man in The Long Goodbye. He's the yep, exactly. He's the sort of old Hemingway, man author yeah. Hemingway type character. He's oh, great in that movie. So good. He's so yeah. I, I had no. I didn't realize I was such a big Sterling Hayden fan until I was watching this. I'm like, oh, I yeah, like everything I've seen him in. Also, the yeah, titular he's, he's Jonathan, Jonathan Guitar. Yeah. Oh, he is. Okay, interesting. He's so good in that yeah. movie. But everyone is That's so. awesome. So anyway, that was my. my if Sterling if Hayden we're gonna talk about uh, the dark horse uh, MVP of the movie, I'm gonna say Peter Bull as the Soviet ambassador Alexei. Yeah. <laughs> he's very funny. He's actually pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Um, we did um, have to go unplug our Echo Dot last night during the movie oh. because every time they said Alexi, they, <laughs> our Echo thought it was saying Alexa and kept trying to chime in to offer to help us, which was a great sort of dystopian creepiness to add on funny. to watching this Jesus movie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Every time they were like, Alexi. And she was like, what can I do for you? Like, okay, they're going to unplug that. Um, also, James Earl Jones. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot to do in this, though. Yeah. He doesn't have enough to do. He has one of my favorite uh, line readings in the movie, which is when uh, Slim Pickens just falls out of the the bomb thing. He just Mm -hmm. goes, hey, what about Major Kong? (laughs) (laughs) That that was actually very deadpan funny. It's a great line reading. Yeah. So we we first meet um, George C. Scott off, off screen as his secretary answers a phone call for him. It's the middle of the night, and she's basically relaying info back and forth that attack plan r was called he says call ripper he'll take care of it and they learn that all of the communications to ripper are down because he ordered them to be down and then had people's radios confiscated so they have no way of getting in except for one yeah they have no way of getting in to talk to ripper uh using conventional uh non non gunfire related methods Right. Um, and then we learn that the uh, the prefix code is OPE, as we see on the plane, which uh, we'll find more about later. Yeah, that's because we have one of the we mentioned it earlier, but one of the issues is that yeah, you have to have a three letter code to try to before you can send any updated directions. And they say at one point that like, how long do they say it would take them to try every single possible? Yeah, code? yeah, it, it would like take 17, them seventeen thousand like, combinations, yeah, and it would take days. Far too long yeah. when they have like. I think a couple hours to to sort of recall yeah. the plane. Yeah, mm-hmm. so basically... They say they have 18 minutes until it enters Soviet airspace, and then it's like a little couple hours after that mm-hmm. where it would hit the targets. Have you guys seen Failsafe? I have not. No. So Failsafe is interesting because it's basically the same movie, only it's not. it doesn't have a single funny moment in it. Right, it's just completely straightforward. It's completely just like very, very dark. Um not a single laugh, but it's otherwise the same plot. Instead of a person doing it, it's just like a, a glitch. 
sends an airplane out and once it reaches once it gets like a little bit past the fail safe point then the instructions from the pilots are no matter what um even if you hear somebody call in who like if you think it's your commander or the president you can't trust it that maybe the russians trying to throw you off so once you reach a certain point you're like disobey all orders that you might get so this is really the same thing only the one out that you have is if you happen to have this code so yeah they need to try to find basically like the the mini plot of this movie is they need to find the code mm-hmm. yeah so mandrake um who's the peter sellers character the the british air force guy uh goes to ripper's office to try to get the code ripper um we start to learn a little bit weird about him when he <laughs> he besides the fact that he just called in nuclear war sure um he asks mandrake to make him a drink of grain alcohol and rainwater yeah he, he starts he has some interesting he has some interesting thoughts i feel like he'd fit in well on the internet of today oh, i feel yeah. like he could find some oh, like-minded individuals to share his thoughts with are you specifically referencing Alex Jones? <laughs> I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Serious crap. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny. I mean, he would definitely he, be. He Q-Anon. might find a yeah, yeah a kindred spirit. Sure. Oh my god. Well, Ebert even in his essay comments about how the whole like fluoride in the water conspiracy was like, like a still f- a common right-wing talking point like, yeah. Yep. yeah we know <laughs> yeah i don't see that very often but it is sort of on the spectrum of like the anti-vax it's like chemtrail shit yeah yeah they're they're all like mm-hmm. yeah if people talked about fluorinated water if it was something that you actually had to physically go out and do the way you have to with vaccines it would be a much bigger mm-hmm. deal yeah, exactly. Like everyone would we'll be start. complaining about that too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Ripper basically lays his plan out to Mandrake, which I, I think is pretty damning of politicians. Which is that he's he says once that once they realize that they can't recall the plane, the only option that the politicians are going to have is to just like be fully on board with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, it's pretty tr- like. It makes sense. Like his his plan is, he's forcing their hands. Yeah. He's basically like, I'm going to force this, and then in they're going to have no choice other than to basically make it seem like, we, okay, we yeah, want, that's what yeah. we want to do. Because otherwise, it, it's admitting that they're powerless. Yeah, yeah. the The only other option they have is to say, oh, this was a mistake, and we're either mm-hmm. like incompetent or we're allowing people within the government to usurp our power. So it's right. they're they're what? No, that they're, never. <laughs> they're better served to just be like, oh yeah, we did it. Um, which is probably what would happen yeah i think like i don't i don't have enough faith in any uh like major politician that they'd be like no actually we made a huge mistake um yeah and he he does uh, i I like his line that war is too important to be left to the politicians Mm -hmm. um and then he gives yeah some, some of the best sort of i mean well the whole thing is good satire of like the military industrial complex and how it mm-hmm. works with politicians but yeah i feel like this his sort of explanation of 
what he's doing and how it's going to work is, yeah, pretty damning when you're like, yeah, that, that seems about right. That's what would happen. Yeah. So then we um, get our first glimpse of the war room. So we have... <laughs> looks fantastic, by the way. It looks incredible. It's the it's best one of the best sets. Yeah, it's one of the best sets ever, I think. Um, did you know that? So this mm-hmm. movie's yeah, obvi- yeah, it's, and it's just so iconic. Yeah, the movie's obviously like black and white, but apparently he he had the war room table be painted green, oh, so that it would interesting. so that the people sitting around it would feel like they're at a poker table. <laughs> oh, okay, that's really interesting. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. It. I think I read somewhere that, like, the U.S. government was confused when they saw this movie because the war room is, like, surprisingly <laughs> accurate to the actual real war room that they had. That's, no, I, I mean, I... I might be making I that would, up, but I, I think it. I've heard that somewhere. I, I would believe it. Um, it looks... I mean, it's it's definitely what has clearly been the inspiration for, you know, generations where the films afterward, since. yeah, that all look like that, so... Yeah, I, I know The yeah. Simpsons is definitely pulled from this... Uh, set a lot mm-hmm. when it shows like the rich people of Springfield. Yeah. Oh, totally. So we meet President um, Merkin Muffy, <laughs> which is also played. The names in this movie, like, <sighs> cannot handle them. <laughs> so this is um, Sellers' second role that we see, and he sort of mm-hmm. based his affectations on Adlai Stevenson. Sure. He's supposed to just be sort of like a feckless um, Midwestern type. That's a great word for feckless, him. Yeah. I, 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 was very, I don't know why I was very impressed by Peter Sellers in this movie. Everyone is. He's very good. But like, <laughs> I, I, liked, I liked how understated this role mm-hmm. is, like, as you know, compared I to I think the this other is ones. my favorite of the three I Sellers. I think Mandrake's my favorite, but it's a tough call. It's a close call. Ooh. Yeah. Is that a hot take? I don't know. Nick, what, what, who's your favorite? Um, I think... Please say strange. I was going to say, it's, it's like a personality test. <laughs> Which Peter Sellers character are you? It's not... Well, I don't yeah. know. Strange Love does maybe make me laugh the most. Janet Jana is the, the British one that's trying to, trying to make sure everyone everything. stops being so stupid. Yeah. I'm the feckless one and Nick is the Nazi. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm just the chaos agent. <laughs> exactly. That, that's it. <laughs> The way he just says certain words is is uh, strange. Love like computer. Oh my god! Yeah, we ever, we just kept repeating back, like especially every time he Slot, said computer. Slotted. So funny. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The bold curiosity for the venture ahead. Every, yeah. All of them have such good lines. So like the whole bit of um, the bomb. Yeah, 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 talking. The hydrogen uh. bomb. So we learn a little bit more about what Plan R is in this. And it's basically, it was a retaliatory safeguard. They call it if the president is killed in a sneak attack, it's a way for them to give a go code to the pilots. And they're off doing their thing and, unless somebody gives um, a recall code with the prefix code OPE mm-hmm. in this case. Right. Uh I know it's kind of hard. So I feel like at this section of the movie, I mean, it obviously is like bouncing around a lot. So it just keeps, you know, b- bouncing back and forth between each of our three sets. So you're watching them all sort of unfold simultaneously. So I'm yeah, kind of yeah. like, and then in which order that it turns out, I don't remember a lot of things out of order in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I think we could just like take them in general there each specific sets like a uh, story itself yeah. and then move on to it. Um there's w- one thing that I like and it's sort of um parallel as well with Failsafe 2. In Failsafe uh Roger uh Jesus Christ Walter Matthau plays a um like a philosopher about nuclear war basically. And he goes through the movie making the point of if we can get away with attacking Russia and destroying them, it's fine. Like the cost of life doesn't really matter as long as we survive. And that's really sort of the same point that General Turgenson, the George C. Scott character has, mm-hmm. where the loss of life doesn't seem as important as important to him as winning overall. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, yeah. And he's already starting to get on board with um, Ripper's right. plan. He says, "Yeah, he's one of the first ones who's like, well, maybe this is what we should do. It's happening, so yeah, he says, get on board. We can catch the Russians with their pants down." Mm-hmm. Do you want to try to say it like George C. Scott says? Though? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, but I think maybe my favorite line in the whole movie is when they're talking about the possible deaths in have, starting a war with Russia. And he, he estimates it at like 20 million. <laughs> he says, Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair must. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, that's... No more than... Yeah, that's... No more than 10 good. to 20 million tops, depending on the breaks. Uh, yeah, I just was about to say the depending yeah. on the breaks part. That's, that's a great part. Um, I think my biggest laugh in the whole movie isn't even a line. It's just when... Uh, Georgie Scott is like yelling at the president and he starts like turning around to walk away and uh, he trips mm-hmm. and falls. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's intentional. But uh, in, in the Ebert essay, it's, they, say, they say that it was an accident that he tripped, but he, he just like powered through yeah. that Kubrick left it in because it looked so intentional. It looked like such a choice. That they mm-hmm. just roll, rolled with it. I mean, he does like a perfect somersault and gets back up on his. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I just. That gets me every yeah. time. So while they're in the war room, they bring in the um, the ambassador to USSR. He calls the um, Soviet prim- or the Soviet premier Dmitri, who's mm-hmm. drunk and partying. It sounds like. Didn't we just we just talked about drunk politicians, drunk um, world leaders? Uh, I can't remember why, but I feel like that came up did we? sometime recently. I know there's I know. in in another round. There's a good montage of that's what we were talking. We were you and I were talking about another round, and yeah. there's the montage of all the drunk world leaders, including Boris Yeltsin, just like falling down all the time while Bill Clinton laughs at him. Yeah, so good movie, know, grand, grand, great movie, and um, grand tradition of <laughs> our world leaders being terrifyingly drunk all the time. Yeah. So. Um, during that conversation, Peter Sellers, uh, president, basically tells the Soviet premier what the deal is. Hey, we're sending a bomb your way. Uh, it was an accident. So they say that they'd, we'd, we'd always talk about... How does about, that conversation go again? <laughs> we'd always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb. And uh, I, I love how... The way he describes it, this is really just going to turn into me like quoting all of my favorite lines. <laughs> but what it, he, he when he's describing Ripper, he says he he went a little, you know. I'm trying to find the line. 
I can't find it. But the way he describes it, it's quite good. This is great radio. <laughs> oh, I must not even have it written down. Oh, well. I, I thought I'd frozen again. I was like, no. everyone went so still. <laughs> no, that's like, me, oh, no. no, it's me reading through my notes. I'm just trying to find that line because it's it's just so funny the way <sighs> the way they depict um, like something that's going to be world altering is just, oh, yeah, this guy like went a little off and so we're oh oh okay well according to wiki quote um he says well now what happened is uh one of our base commanders he had a sort of well he went a little funny in he the went head, a little you funny know? in the head just yes. a little funny and uh he went and oh, did a silly right. thing <laughs> yeah he went a little funny in the head is uh just a little funny he, like his line deliveries are just so good yeah and that's a very like good Midwestern U.S. type down, totally downplaying something catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as the ambassadors getting off the phone, we hear a little bit um, of a mention of the Doomsday device, right? Which we'll learn about more. Um, yeah. We cut back to Ripper, who gives Mandrake his big fluoride conspiracy which is why he only drinks grain alcohol and rainwater and he's just like he's full alex jones about communists and the communist plots to um infiltrate america using all of these poisonous means and and he uses he uses the words bodily fluids a lot a lot (laughs) a way too much way more than he needs to Uh, yeah he loves saying that it's pretty good yeah it's pretty good so then the ambassador after that um sort of expounds a little bit more on what this doomsday device is so it will trigger automatically so once the uh u.s pilots bomb russia this thing's gonna go off it's gonna blow up the whole world and it involves a nuclear nuclear isotope which has a uh I don't know what the half-life is. I guess it says it will last 93 years. And I think for something to technically be considered clear, it has to have gone like four or five half-lives. So you would yeah. have to have a half-life of... That, that was something in the movie. Is he said like it wouldn't be livable on Earth for 98 years because that's the half-life. That's and I'm like, the half-life is. <laughs> No, yeah. you are going to be dead much longer than 98 years. Yeah. I have a lot of questions about how the underground tunnel survivability situation would work, which is not the point, but... Well, you, you must not allow for a mind trap. <laughs> right, no, you absolutely that's, not. That sure. would be a huge mistake. <laughs> so the ambassador says that um, the Russians didn't want to get behind the U.S. in a doomsday race. Um, so they built this thing, and Doctor Strangelove comes out. Finally, at the fifty-one minute mark so of so much later than I remembered, like fully the last, almost the last thirty minutes, basically. And he basically chides. He's like, "Oh, it's it's possible. It's a great idea. Um, it's a great deterrent mechanism, but also, why didn't you guys tell us you had this?" What's the point of having this as a nuclear deterrent? 
if you're not- the premiere likes surprises <laughs> so yeah they they were gonna announce it to the world that monday ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, bad timing yeah just terrible timing um when we do meet strange love one of the striking things about him other than his glasses which are pretty cool is that he wears um like these black iconic black gloves mm-hmm. do you guys know what those black gloves were a reference to now (laughs) apparently kubrick used to wear them because he would handle the lights on set Uh, okay and would burn his hands so he bought a pair of black gloves so that he could handle the lights so this is uh sellers nod to kubrick this a kind of a little a little gentle uh (laughs) making fun of kubrick there yeah being a fascist psychopath i guess yeah i was gonna say (laughs) i mean in the context of a film set sounds about right yeah um, so in order to combat the, um, pilots from pulling off this, uh, thing, the Russians try to shoot at them. They do shoot the plane that has Major Kong and James Earl Jones and those guys in it. Um, so it shoots and damages the plane and they do start to lose fuel yeah. and mm-hmm. among other, um, malfunctions that come into play later, but they're still alive. They still have the nuclear warhead or warheads, I guess. Um, Cause they have two of them. And they say hello there and dear John mm-hmm. on them. Oh, interesting. Which did you not notice that in big? Yeah, no, I just didn't think the, about the... it. <laughs> Is that a specific reference to anything? I'm, I mean, whenever I see names on two bombs like that, I, you know, it makes you think, obviously, of the actual nuclear bombs, right, which were right. like, I'm now going to absolutely butcher their names, but it was like Big Baby or something like that. Like they, they had weird names. I, I just associate with them having actual mm-hmm. weird names on the real nuclear bombs. Which, um, you don't need to name bombs. Yeah, I don't think you need to. Like I, I think it's okay not to. Yeah, I don't get it. Anyways, back to um, Ripper's office, I guess, or wherever it is that he's he's operating from. So soldiers are coming in to try to capture him so that they can get the code and recall the plane. Um, he's told his soldiers that the Russians are going to come in to try to uh, invade their little base. So his soldiers are basically in a gunfight with regular u.s soldiers not realizing that they're fighting against their own troops um he has a comically large gun sure does and i like that this happens a couple times there's one shot from the outside of soldiers who are shooting into his office and then in his office to there are signs that say peace is our profession. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Again, the subtlety in this movie is not, you know. No, they're, they're not, they're not going for, for subtlety. In no, any respect. not at all. Um, no. Quick, quick fact check. The, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs were called fat man and little boy. 
yeah so big big baby which is how i had remembered it was not correct (laughs) but it was depressingly close yeah Um, you fat man and little boy a mashup of the two i guess pretty much uh i laugh because it's awful um okay so back (laughs) to the base um we do find like the last element of ripper's theory where he talks more about fluoride and bodily fluids when Manfrek asks him how he came about it, and he said he developed it during the physical act of love. Yep. And I think there's like an an impotence reading to Ripper I, one could pretty easily make. Yeah, I, they're making some I, kind of. Point. Is it a reference or is it just outright? Uh, well, there. Sh- yeah. Sure. I mean, I really don't think the world ends in this alternate universe as Viagra had it been invented <laughs> just a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah, that's very possible. <laughs> uh, Ripper. So Ripper and Mandrake, uh, their relationship is starting to come to an end because um, Ripper asks Mandrake if he was ever a prisoner of war. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was tortured by the Japanese world war ii and he basically says like they did it for fun they didn't even want him to talk yeah oh yeah. right because this right because it comes up in the context of like if they capture me i i don't know if i'd hold up under torture mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah yeah and he says the the u.s soldiers are going to give him a good going over mm-hmm. and he's so sort of committed to his demented cause that he's willing to die so as to not be tortured and give away the go code or the recall code. Right. Mm-hmm. The one thing um, in the whole Ripper subplot that I don't really think is done too well, and I overall like love everything about this movie, but you don't really get the sense of where they are in battling with the U.S. soldiers. Like he goes, no. for, he goes from sh- he That's goes a from good shooting point. this like giant ass gun at the soldiers to. Um, at the end of that scene, going into the bathroom and killing himself, mm-hmm. and we don't even have a good idea of like where they are. Like, and then the soldiers just end up walking in after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it seems to be missing a scene or even just like a couple lines of dialogue where they're like, "Oh yeah, they're closing in faster. Right. Like they're the, gonna. The they're tide has turned. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It, it's yeah doesn't connect super well. Yeah. Um, that's like my, my main gripe with, with that section. But so anyways, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, for me basically it just felt like it ended very suddenly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, which is yeah. kind of a bummer because I was really enjoying that section of the movie. And so yeah. then Ripper kills himself. You're like, oh, okay. You're also, you're obviously the Mandrake. Exactly. Girl, so. Yeah. One more Mandrake. Well, coming up, I think is Mandrake's best work. Yeah. His best. Yeah. With a yeah. section with, yeah. uh, the other soldier. Yeah. Yeah. What's that guy's name? I don't name? know, but Does he's he Guano. He's, he's really funny. He's my Fat Guano. <laughs> if that is your real name, yeah. Mandrake says. He's he's my dark horse for um like that's lovely funny. Low key funniest role. Yeah. He's I mean very my, funny. My uh my whole letterbox review for this watch was just a quote from him. <laughs> <laughs> so um before uh. before or at, really as the soldiers are coming in, um after Ripper has shot himself, Mandrake is looking through Ripper's desk to try to find a clue, and he finds a sheet of paper that just has the words 
peace on earth and purity of essence written all over it. <laughs> and he concludes pretty smartly. I don't know how he would have come up with this, but he's right. Uh, that peace on earth and purity of essence have the same uh, three letters. So the recall code must be some combinations of the letters P, O, and E, which it right. is. Mm-hmm. And having narrowed it down to three words, obviously it's much less than the 17,000 or whatever it is. Right, yeah. You can just try those. <laughs> yeah. So the the soldier, Colonel Bat Guano, shoots the door down. Mandrake says, hey, I think I've figured out what the code is, um, so you need to put me in touch with the president. Mm-hmm. So he goes... You want to talk to the president of the United <laughs> States of America? So he goes to a payphone, doesn't have any change on him because the guy, Jesus. he doesn't have change. The guy's like, I'm not going into battle with change on me. So he tries to I mean, make obviously. A collect call to the president. Um, <laughs> they decline his collect call, which how easy or hard do you think it would be to just call into the president and just just make give a good faith attempt to make a collect call see if he'll pick up yeah yeah i feel like it must be more challenging than just this otherwise people would be doing it all the time all the time sure yeah so the soldier doesn't have any change he doesn't have any change so he tells the soldier to shoot the coke machine and grab some of (laughs) grab some of the money from the coke machine Uh. and (laughs) <laughs> the guy's response. Uh, what I love how uh, this movie lampoons um, like politics and war is just the the rules and the absurdity of these strict rules that they have. Mm-hmm. And he's, he tells him to shoot the Coke machine and the guy just says, that's private property. Like, <laughs> never, <laughs> never mind that we're trying to stop a nuclear holocaust. It's just, <laughs> that's private property. You can't do that. <sighs> So they shoot it down, and uh, the guy gets sprayed in the face. And then it cuts to, this is another part that I actually rewound it, because I was like, did I blink and miss something? Because mm-hmm. the relaying of the recall code also happens, like, really fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Like, well, there's not even a scene of um, the code being given. It's just they get the change, and then the planes have already been recalled. Right. But, um, so there were 30-some planes, and there were uh, four that the Russians had shot down. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. shot. Um, shot. All of the planes are recalled. There are three of the four down, but they still see that there's one plane going. And it turns out that that plane was shot, but not shot down. It mm-hmm. is the plane that... Um, Kong, etc., are flying, and they didn't get the prefix code because their radio equipment was damaged when they were shot. Right. So, right. after all of this, we think we're we're good and we're in the clear. But no, <laughs> there's still one plane that is flying to the primary target. Okay, so I've been looking around for 30 minutes trying to figure out the line that George A. Scott has when he's describing... Uh, the likelihood of the plane getting to the target. Do you guys have that line anywhere? Yeah. The, has, he the, got a, has he got a chance? Hell yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
Let me. I see. don't have the full quote. I just have written just, down. Has he got a chance? Hell yeah! Which is, okay. I, I, <laughs> like maybe the best George C. Scott delivery in this, because he's yeah. he's so pumped up about it, and he's so excited because he's spent a life and career of um, like being in favor of how good the American soldiers are at evading the Russians. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he slowly just like, yeah. And then he immediately yeah. he immediately stops and is like, "Wait, that's in this instance, that's bad." Yeah. Well, what I what I like about both that part and then when it cuts back to all of them on the plane is this is the part that's played the most straight. Like it's a like these guys who are on the airplane in particular, like they're the heroes of their war movie, right? Mm-hmm. They've been shot. They're leaking fuel, but they are going to complete the mission no matter what. And it's played so, like, distressingly straight because, yeah, they, they think they're the heroes. <laughs> they don't know. And is it in Ebert's essay where he says that um, Pickens basically wasn't even told that the movie's a comedy? That's the rumor. I can't remember if I saw that on Wikipedia or in the Ebert essay, but I've definitely seen that in a couple of places. Yeah, which... I buy if... until the final moment. <laughs> I was, I was going to say... Right. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like that tracks until I I could see them like maybe they shot it chronologically and at the very end he's like you know what we we didn't tell you that uh we got to break it to you yeah the the speech he gives though when he's trying to hype them up is pretty damn stupid yeah. though it, towards the beginning of the movie when the, after they get the first mm-hmm. code read and it just cuts to James Earl Jones face like. What yeah, the what fuck is, is he saying? Yeah. <laughs> but that that just might be Slim Pickens's <laughs> wonderful yeah. self. Yeah. So, um, but to your point, Jana, like mm-hmm. the so the that last plane is you know flying low, trying to evade um, the the Russian like counter yeah counterattacks, mm-hmm. and they know that they're running out of fuel. So it really does seem like from their point of view they're the heroes where they're they're probably not going to make it back they don't have the fuel to make it back but we're still going to complete our mission we're going to go after like this different site because we can't make it to the the intended primary site so we're we're still going to bomb something else and it fits sort of with like this hero trope of kong um the plane has been shot they're injured they're they're limping to this site and they can't even open the doors. So Kong does the heroic thing and goes down and he's going to he's going to help launch the rockets himself and it's obviously a very dangerous thing that he's doing and it ends up um, being fatal to I suppose not just him but mm-hmm. <laughs> sure <laughs> the entire world but starting it, with him yeah, and yeah initially just him. So mm-hmm. I think this is probably the most famous uh, mm-hmm. image from the movie I would oh, say 100% yeah yeah. Kong gets the doors to open he does so manually while he's still sitting on the bomb and mm-hmm. then just rides down it um. <laughs> and he gets so excited when it starts he opening yeah. he's like this is this is my yeah. moment quite gleefully I'm gonna ride right so, yeah hey what about Major Kong <laughs> that's so funny it's the best so, <laughs> it's the best I, when we were watching this last night after, after this scene um, 
which it turns out is not the end of the movie because mm-hmm. um, it cuts back to the war room. And I sort of made the comment to me. I was like, wow, I totally misremembered this. Like, I thought that he, the bomb went down and then the music started and that's the end of the movie. And I was like, yeah, I, that's how I remember it too. And then it's like, would it be better that way? We had this whole conversation. I thought I was like making this great incisive um, sort of criticism of the movie. And then Ebert, Ebert absolutely <laughs> says the exact same thing in his essay. So I'm like, oh, not, not an original thought that it's kind of a strange choice to not have I mean I genuinely remembered that being the final shot of the film that that happens mm-hmm. and it's over um and it's not I have a I think Ebert would agree that yeah that's a... and I have a take on that um Ooh, okay I, I th- take I think from like a narrative point of view that makes sense like mm-hmm. it would have more of a a gut punch ending where he goes down that bomb goes off and then you just see all the other bombs and you, and the music starts playing yeah and you know what happened um but I think it works, and and you would need to have the the subsequent scene of Strange Love talking about right. the, just would have happened right before, right? Basically, yeah. You yeah. you basically just have to shuffle those two scenes. You put the mm-hmm. Strange Love one first, That's really. What I thought happened, yeah, and then have the the um, Slim Pickens scene. But I think that the Strange Love scene ends up being funnier when it cuts to the everything rather than it cutting to Slim Pickens. Fair enough. It's a better punchline for that. Yeah, thing. yeah. I think it's. I think it works out funnier. Maybe like from an emotional point of view, doing it the other way would work better. But I, yeah. I really do think that Strange Love and the movie ending with him saying, "I can walk," and then no, he he doesn't he doesn't say that. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Can can someone explain that joke to me? I like. Is there something to get? The, him, <laughs> or is it him just walking? absurdist? So him walking and yeah. then saying like Mein Fuhrer, I can. I mean, yeah. I get that he's like a Nazi, but like the fact that he stands up and says Mein Fuhrer, I can walk. I'm like, what? So, what I think it is. Let's let's just talk about that scene because that's really yeah, the last scene of the movie. Yeah, so it's the last scene. <laughs> so after um, we see Kong send the bomb down, he, he's dead. Uh, some Russian city or whatever is blown up. Um, is it? It's it's like another like military site that they're attacking. Yeah, they, they, they can't like get to their original yeah. uh, target, primary or secondary, because of the fuel leak, and so they pick another target where they, it's like ICBM, like they know there's missiles there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, Strangelove starts talking about hiding in mine shafts, and they say they need to be there for about a century. He has He's clearly thought all of this through already. Yeah. He says it wouldn't even be difficult. Animals could be bred and slotted. <laughs> and he uh, comes up with a, a eugenics plan to repopulate the world. <laughs> to use computers to decide who's mm-hmm. going to be the best. Uh, th- yeah, that's some creepy shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, he's like trying to fight his hand from hailing the president yes yes he accidentally calls the president mein Führer. Mm-hmm. um it's like he gets so excited and stimulated that uh he suddenly his arm suddenly becomes it, erect it, yeah, yeah. It, he can't control it it has a mind of its own yeah it's like a idle hands situation mm-hmm. so <laughs> that cinematic classic idle hands good movie <laughs> 
Probably not. I haven't seen it in like 20 years. I don't, I remember it not being very good at the time. I'm yeah. <laughs> Same. I remember being really excited for it and being disappointed. And it was not like I had the most discerning of like, yeah wacky comedy taste when i was 16 or whatever yeah uh, okay what is this movie? oh yeah sorry, sorry dylan devon sawa not long after you were born a movie came out called idle hands uh devon okay. sawa and jessica alba i believe are the people and maybe seth green yeah. did it seth seth green. Yeah. 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 i mean for me when i was that age devon sawa and seth green both being in a movie it was like sign me up i'm mm-hmm. there um oh the my god <laughs> no it's not i'm curious as to what like it's uh letterbox distribution is anyway so i'll get to that in a second so sorry, uh, sorry i did not mean to send us down a, I, I, I think that one was my fault it is your fault so, yeah. okay. of the people i follow on letterbox the average rating for idle hands is a 3.4 so Hi. it's actually pretty positively That's rated weird. of the people i follow Maybe it holds up i don't know uh i'd be su- tom tom delong is in it dexter holland is in it so uh Man, it's so it's 1999, the movie. Yeah, basically. Kyle Gass is in it. Wow, <laughs> incredible. Uh, okay, the weirdest part is that Vivica A. Fox is in it and Fred what? Willard. Okay, sorry. Yeah, weird. Anyways, anyways. So, um, Doctor Strangelove has this plan. We're gonna live underground for a century. We're gonna repopulate it with a ten to one women to men ratio. <laughs> In the women will have been. I'm sure that's scientifically the exact uh, the, reason the why me, he. The men get on board each ra- very quickly with very this suggestion. Quick. Yeah, especially <laughs> they they go from like distraught and ho- sad to like. Hmm. Did you say ten to one? Yeah, and especially Turgidson, who who we've Turgidson, already seen, yeah. um, is the only character who like has a relationship with a woman in the movie, other than Ripper talking about him coming up with his crazy theories in the throes of passion. And but, Slim but Pickens Ripper and his not, Playboy. Ripper will not share his essence with them. So, yeah. you know. I yeah. know. Uh, King of the pole out. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> Sorry. Cancel the podcast. <laughs> Luckily, we do have the explicit warning on. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jen. <laughs> sorry, I turned purple. Okay. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so... That's probably the worst thing I've ever said. Dylan, you never go blue. Come on. (laughs) Turgidson's concern then is not about um, repopulation or the fact that the world is going to get blown up. It's the fact that when they get out, what if the Russians attack them first? And is there going to be a mine shaft gap? Right. And you got to say it like he says it, Nick. I can't do. uh, (laughs) Mr. President, we must not allow. I I don't. A mine shaft gap. <laughs> I definitely I mean, can't is... do a George yeah. C. Scott without like just an absurd like Terry Francona amount of gum in. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean this this to me is the scene that's sort of the like I don't know, I guess I can't say it's the least subtle, but like it's just sort of the most explicit, like, you know, this this is the cycle. Like you know, mm-hmm. nothing, you know, this literally the world is ending. And we're still talking thought, about it's yeah. still we're still talking about like, OK, well, we need to we're in this situation because they built a doomsday machine to out doomsday everybody else. And then, yeah, <laughs> I like I like the line where the doomsday machine comes up and uh, George C. Scott turns to the guy sitting next to him. He's like, 
man, I wish we had one of them doomsday machines, don't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's like that's, that's not, not the, the point. Good solution, that would man. not be better for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh. funny, too, that they're coming up with this plan to, you know, we're going to get all these women, we're going to do this thing, we're going to hang out there for a century, and then we'll be fine. Meanwhile, they've got to be pretty aware of the timeline of these things, right? Like, they know that there's a doomsday device. They know that that plane is about to bomb Russia. How long mm-hmm. do they think they have? Right, like if it's trigger Unclear. if it's trigger automatically, should be they, it. It says that there is a line earlier on where it says like within a certain like it won't happen instantaneously. It'll take a while for the radiation to encircle the Earth and make it unlivable. So hmm. I think that we're supposed to think that like theoretically they could make some plans, but they're they're not exactly hopping to it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Um, either way, it seems like they are probably going to run out of time. So while they're talking about this, um, Strange Love is so jazzed that he says, I have a plan. Mein Führer, I can walk. And he <laughs> stands up from his wheelchair, which, so that was the bit that you don't get, like, how is he? Well, it's just like, is it, is it just <laughs> that he's, so, he's just so excited that now, like, Maybe there's nothing to get, but it's literally bothered me for 20 years, and I still am like, I just, I don't get the final joke of this movie. That's, I, that's what I, Jenna, if you if you didn't get us on this uh, tangent, I wouldn't have had to say uh, that Sterling Hayden's character was. Oh, well, sorry about that. <laughs> um, I, I think, for me anyway, it's that he's, like, he was a Nazi, mm-hmm. uh, clearly. <laughs> Oh, you think? Indeed. <laughs> if, a little bit. If you weren't sure, it seems like he was a Nazi. Um, <laughs> and this, like, is really the most power that he's had. Like, yeah. they're at this point where they're in the midst of planning the post-apocalyptic world where he's mm-hmm. he's going to be, um, like, the engineer of this American eugenics program. And he'll be one of the few, like, presumably the men in that room will live uh, according mm-hmm. to their plan and that's going to be about it so he'll be perhaps the most powerful person in the world and just so jazzed by that that he's this is like the nazi dream yeah, yeah yeah he's like this is his time to shine so he's he's finally like just regained <laughs> so much like vigor that he's able to walk and then um the bombs all start going off Okay, I, I have a quick question about this ending scene. Because yep. I thought this for basically my whole life until doing Wikipedia research, it completely uh, broke my all-time theory, which was that there's no actual doomsday bomb like timer. And when Alexi walks over with his little clock he sets and he it. presses the button and... He's, I always, I always, always, oh, that's always a fun thought, way of thinking about it. But he's he's just taking arguing, sky shots, right? He's just taking little like. That's what it yeah. says on the Wikipedia page. But I thought like because it's exactly the moment where George C. Scott goes like, "Say what of these rescues stashed a big bomb? Say and we did it." And he just his face is just like, "Oh, this is so fucked." Whatever. <laughs> I thought he was just like, "Like I'm done. I'm just gonna blow the world up." That's like a, this that's is a fun interpretation. 
I always okay. thought that's what happened. Yeah. That he was just like, okay, whatever. This this is toast. I'm gonna blow the. <laughs> See, I I thought it was and, straight where he's just taking pictures, and the joke is that that, that they're both yeah, both sides are still the same way that he's like they're gonna out mine. That, there's gonna be a yeah, mine yeah. shaft it's, gap. It's it, like, and the Russians are still spying on us. Why? Yeah, yeah like, like who's yeah, he, that, who are these pictures? Who are these too. pictures for? Like, right. who's he gonna get them to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, then basically the world ends. Uh, for the most part, I guess, depending on how deep the worm is in the ground, perhaps they will be able to do their plan. Seems like probably not. And it plays over. They wouldn't be able to repopulate. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Um, it plays over uh, a song called We'll Meet Again, which was a song that people would sing to World War II sur- soldiers as they were mm-hmm. shipping out. And it was basically like a, hey, we'll see you when you come back from the war. And apparently, like, you know, this is 2021 now. We're not really intimately familiar with that song, but presumably in 1964 or whatever. Yeah, 64. Uh, when this came out, it was, you know, less than two decades from World War II happening. So people would be, you know, the song was still in the zeitgeist. So people were a little bit more familiar with that reference. Yeah, that that sounds about right. It's okay, a pretty song. I have my... Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous song. Um, I'm going to come in here with a hot take. Uh, the ending they used is the wrong ending. The ending they should have used was the fight. You, okay, so this is a fight you guys want to have about... Um... I'm, I'm... Nick, Nick, Nick doesn't want to have the fight, <laughs> and I don't even necessarily want to have the fight. I just think it's much better to do the pie ending than this ending. Did, did you read about why it says they didn't use it, though? Um, which I thought was no. interesting. Where um... mm-hmm. I saw the quote that Kubrick said, like, it's not a farce, it's a satire. Right, and and uh, apparently, like, when he first envisioned that ending, he wanted them to, like, play it straight, like, that they were actually fighting throwing these pies, but they were all cracking up too much because it's an inherently funny thing to be doing. And that, yeah, it made it too, too, yeah, too farcical instead of satirical, I guess. Yeah, there's a quote from one of the bonus features that I wrote down where Kubrick described it as a disaster of Homeric proportions. Because it was just okay, Stanley. It, <laughs> Maybe calm down a little. It, it, it didn't make any sense uh, with the tone of the movie, and then also, like you said, everyone was laughing. So they they could only do one take because it was a giant not pie fight. Do that setup again. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to do that a hundred times like uh, <laughs> Shelley Duvall on the stairs. Um, and everyone was just laughing too much, so it didn't work. But I disagree. I I think that would have like just been really weird for the tone of the movie as opposed to where it like it it ends on a nuclear apocalypse joke which is funny if you're (laughs) i just i can't find it funny and when when i know that the whole world is going to end because these people are doofuses it kind of loses its humor personally for me and I think the idea of, like, these people just be such doofuses that they start throwing pies at each other would fit this better than, I, like, oh, the world's going to end because of them. I guess my my only other question about that would be, like, I mean, it not that this is the most realistic movie ever made, but, like, <laughs> what, are, what, would, what would be the conceit there? How did the pies get in there? Why did they have all these pies? Why are they throwing them at each other? Like, is it just a, a funny image for the sake of a funny image? I'm, you know, I'm guessing yeah. would be the... Take arguably mind fear. I can walk. Well, they already kind of lost me with that and not understanding why that was happening. So maybe I'm just not the target audience. 
<sighs> so so uh, it, laying this out straight, Nick likes I mean, fear I can walk and the world blows yeah. up. I like pie suddenly come up and they just start beating each mm-hmm. other with them. Jana likes neither. Correct. So that's where we're that's, <laughs> that's where we're at. at. <laughs> Again, it's the Mandrake, the 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 president and the strange love. But in the yep, in exactly. the pie in the pie fighting scenario, okay, you still know what's going to happen. It's just that they're not showing it to you explicitly. So does yeah. that really make you feel better? Like just not being shown and having to yeah. imagine it in your head? Uh, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It just it makes me uncomfortable. In, in a movie that already makes me uncomfortable, but just not in a way that's funny. Yeah. See, anymore. I think that's why it's funny is that it's something, and especially like we we are fortunate. I think for the most part, I think we're at a relatively low risk of being involved in a an imminent nuclear war. But it, certainly in 1964, they were doing like the d- look. I'm not in the day for jinxing <laughs> anything yeah. right now. They were doing duck and cover drills and shit like that in schools where this was right. on people's minds all the time. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why even when I watched it in. 1999 um you know it'd been 10 years since the fall of the soviet union but like Mm -hmm. i don't know i was like a very easily scared little kid and like the cold and so like you know until i was five there was still technically a soviet union in a cold war and i just thought too creepy (laughs) not not far enough still too soon for me i guess that's why i think it's funny i don't know yeah (laughs) there's something wrong with me I like really dark, <laughs> funny stuff, but like, man, yeah, nu- nuclear war stuff freaks me out so bad. Yeah, same. Or it's um, just like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it could be any, like, other apocalyptic stuff, no, but that specifically really creeps me out. Give me give me more asteroids hurtling towards Earth. I am Yeah. That was not me saying Armageddon's a better movie than Doctor Strangelove, just to be clear. <laughs> Nick's face kind of. Would you guys? That's why I was like, just um, to clarify. Do you think you guys would have liked this more if it was a straight drama? No. No. (laughs) Thank you, Janet. The only parts I like about this movie are this the funniest parts. Yeah. Like the parts that I find stressful are the parts that feel very serious. Okay. Uh, Don't watch Failsafe then. (laughs) No, absolutely not. And the movie that I referenced to you guys a while back that I think neither of you were familiar with is On the Beach. Um, which is a sort of famous Cold War era TV movie that stars like a million movie stars. Um, it's from 1959, so it's a few years earlier. Oh, wait, it's a Stanley, K- Stanley Kramer movie. It has Gregory Peck, um, Ava Gardner, Fred Astaire, Anthony Perkins. Jesus. And it's a bunch of people. Freaking Christ, that cast. Um, it's a bunch of people who are in Australia who find out that um, there's been a nuclear apocalypse and that they're they're just waiting it out it's going to get them eventually and they're just all sitting on the beach in australia and nuclear winter is coming for them all it is horrifying i don't know why i (laughs) was exposed to it at some point in my younger life Um, i guess not willingly no no um but yeah that kind of thing is just so specifically scary the cover of it looks very romantic It's a real fake out on you. <laughs> Pauline. I mean, it is. There's like romantic scenes. Um, but then anyway, they're they're all dead. Yeah. 
Pauline Kale quotes Linus Pauling as saying, it may be that some years from now we can look back and say that On the Beach is the movie that saved the world. Sure. Yeah. I like to think Oh my god, in 1964, Atomic War wipes out humanity in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Is this... Predicting Dr. Strangelove? <laughs> yeah, because yes. Dr. Strangelove ended the world in 1964. Yeah, there you go. It, it just quite obviously was what was on everybody's well, mind. Well, well to be fair, we almost ended the world in 1962. Yeah. Yeah. I'm realizing I probably watched On the Beach in college. This is going to be the second time in a row I'm going to bring up that I watched, took a lot of classes in college where I watched a lot of movies. Um, and I took a 20th century um, U.S. history class that was like, the Cold War in media, basically, and we watched a lot of we watched like the day the Earth stood still, you know. Oh, stuff that's like so that. good. Um, the Keanu so, Reeves yeah. movie. Yes, the Keanu Reeves movie. I time traveled because I think that came out after I was in college. Because um, yeah, that is John Hamm in it, so that definitely came out after I was in college. Um, yeah. All right, Ebert quotes. Yeah, Ebert quotes. I've got one. That, um, um, I think to my point, he says, uh, Dr. Strange loves humor is generated by a basic comic principle. People mm-hmm. trying to be funny are never as funny as people trying to be serious and failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I had that highlighted too. And uh, <laughs> his follow up in the next paragraph where he says, the characters in Dr. Strange love do not know their hats are funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just a funny way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like so much of what he says about George C. Scott. Yeah. I, I like that he, uh, my, his face is so plastic and mobile. It reminds me of uh, Jerry Lewis or Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. It's a funny comparison, and it's, it's an not a bad one It's an interesting comparison. Um, yeah. Yeah. I didn't mark a lot of the book. No, the other um, part, so I had that, the same part Nick mentioned um, highlighted, and then the other part... Is at the end when he's drawing comparisons between Doctor yeah. Strange Love in two thousand one. Um, we, before we got on the air, sort of rolled our eyes at saying, you know, m- more than two masterpieces from old Stanley. I think we would argue, but yeah. um, I do like the connection he draws between the nuclear deterrent and Hal and sort of humans like technological hubris and the way that it can either intentionally or unintentionally come back to destroy you is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It is cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> um, is it in this essay or is it in the like the Wikipedia summary where he talks about George C. Scott, um, his performance and why his performance is sort of the way it is? Do you guys know what I I'm talking about? I don't think it I says. I do, the... and I can't. Uh, yeah, I think oh. it maybe is in the Wikipedia write up. Basically, the reason that he's so big is that mm-hmm. he would do normal, some more subdued takes. Mm-hmm. And Cooper would basically. Oh say, no, that was in the essay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He'd basically say, like, like when you're taking family pictures and you say, "Okay, let's do a funny one." Like, let's yeah. take a silly picture. He'd he'd go for fun. Let's do a silly take. And, and then that, used all the and, silly takes. And then just use the silly take. <laughs> yeah, Ebert uh, c- contrasts that with Billy Wilder always telling Jack Lemmon to go smaller. And Jack oh yeah, yeah, that's being right. Like, what do you want me to do? Nothing. And Billy Wilder saying yes. I. I feel vindicated yeah there you go yeah and you still didn't like his performance though in the final movie <laughs> nick thought he could have gone even smaller 
It's just, mm. yep, yep. Do, I'm do just one step brackets. beyond uh, even even Billy Wilder. Yeah. All right, you're the Thumbs evolved up. form of Billy Wilder. Yeah, yeah. That's what I always have said about myself. Yeah, that's um, your new Twitter bio. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan, where are you going? Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? Up. Jana, I'm curious. I I, I came around to a thumbs up okay, on good. on this one. I'm I will say I had more fun talking about it than I did watching it, but um, I I respect it a great deal. We didn't even talk. We barely talked about it. it looks so good. Like it, it, it really just is. looks yeah. phenomenal. And the screenplay is so damn tight. And yeah, the and the performances are so good. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't actually hate on this movie. I think it's technically, like the technical aspects, like the film objectively mm-hmm. itself is a is a Kubrick's best movie. But it's my there's, like there's... fifth, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like Pass the Glory, two thousand one, Barry Lyndon, and uh, probably The Shining more than this, even though it might be the best technically. My my uh, Kubrick rankings are weird because they change just constantly. Yeah, mine yeah, do too. I feel like it's supposed to like Scorsese or Hitchcock. I feel like do you, you have confident. a specific uh, Scorsese? Yeah, and this yeah, the, like for Kubrick, it just changes based on mood. Mm. Yeah, well, because yeah, his movies are so. I mean, when you're whether you're in the mood for The Shining or. Mm you know this movie or eyes wide shut like you're you're those those movies it's kind of an apples to oranges despite it being the same filmmaker yeah yeah yeah. um i'm definitely going thumbs up dylan how many stars are you giving this three and a half jana i'm i'm a comfortable three i'm a definite four which is maybe the rightly the right rating (laughs) I just, I don't want to give it. I'm sorry. (laughs) After, like, on rewatching this, pretty much from Mandrake trying to get changed for the phone to the end of the movie, I was just consistently laughing my ass off. Like, cackling at at everything Sellers was doing, everything that George C. Scott was doing. It's just a very funny movie. It's very funny. Mm -hmm. Uh,. You guys want to do a quick round of what we've been watching? Yeah. Sure. I will say before we do that, just because <clears throat> we just spent 90 minutes talking about Stanley Kubrick and um, you mentioned the whole The Shining scene. Mm-hmm. Anyone who hasn't read the Shelley Duvall profile that yes. um, came out this week, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it is called Searching for Shelley Duvall. It's in The Hollywood Reporter. Such a good piece. Um, and if, if you have been historically stressed out about Shelley Duvall and what happened to her, it might make you feel a little bit better. She's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, it's a sad story, but she's all right. Um, and it's a really fascinating conversation with her and has really excellent quotes from like her friends and, and co-stars and people who knew her when. So recommend that. Mm-hmm. Now I'll figure out what I watched this week. All right. Dylan, what did you watch? I watched only a few things. I watched um, the Oscar Micheaux, uh Within Our Gates. That was a rewatch. Um, incredible movie. Nick, you've seen it, right? No, I haven't. Oh, man. Um, and Jana, I'm assuming you haven't seen no, it either. Yeah, I have not. Um, just 
incredible how much story they can put into 75 minutes. It's peak efficient storytelling. Um, I watched my the final Satoshi Kon film that I need to see, which is Paprika, this week. Um, Nick, what do you, you think you, about that? Uh, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> that movie is incredible. Um, um, I don't I even it, know which of either that or Perfect Blue is my favorite. But Oh, neither is close to Millennium Actress for me. Millennium Actress is like top 40 all time for me. Yeah, Millennium Actress is definitely third Satoshi Kon. Okay for me yeah i think paprika is my definite third after uh perfect blue and uh uh millennium actress um and tokyo godfathers is my definite fourth same but uh, at the same time i still have tokyo godfathers is a four and a half out of five on letterbox so you know <laughs> the man only made bangers so um yeah i thought especially the visuals of the parade that keep kind of going through all the dreams just so good yeah great movie um and then, by far the best thing I watched this weekend is this small movie called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Um, Barb and Star Corner, it's so good. It's the best. It was so good. Um, and I, I told. Do, do you see what I mean now that you've watched it? Like how it has a similar Austin Powers vibe, like just yeah, in yes. the yes. the jokes that it keeps coming back to, yes. and like the sort of straight faced absurdity. Yeah, yes. Like I, I really uh, did mean that as the highest compliment. Like the yeah, best funny. I got worried when people were saying that because I I do in general like the Austin Powers movies, but there are some problematic things. Uh, <laughs> of some, course, some yeah. really just bad jokes. Style, not there's no bastard character in Barb and Star. Like, I feel like Barb and Star is like if Paddington made an Austin Powers movie. Where it's just about... It, it has... It's about friendship. Nice people being friends with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's really great. It's so funny. There, I just... I cannot spoil this movie because it's not been out long enough, but there are so many parts of it that I want to talk about, which I'm sure we will in our, in our, our messenger chat now that I know yeah. everyone has watched it. It's, so funny. Re- recommend it. It's a $20 rental right now. Um, this is maybe the one thing I could ever recommend spending $20 on a rental for. I have spent $20 on so many rentals during I'm, the pandemic. I'm really trying but not to do it. But this is one of the best it, ones. But, uh, Same, this, yeah. this, was, this was worth it 100%. And yeah. I guess I told you guys this, but I just want to shout out that the opening scene in this movie filmed in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just awesome nice neighborhood by the way it looks very like yeah. suburban and like it, it, it's like the the most basic suburb looking thing that they could find in a they state that for. had a good tax code for filmmaking so uh happy they picked it I, you gotta keep I keep an eye on your good. delivery boy though yeah so go watch it for many many reasons good movie so uh nick oh is it me wa- oh jana which was one of you i just wanted to pass it off i want to talk now uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i didn't didn't do a ton this week i have had like insane boring work stuff but um since we last spoke um did a knives out rewatch um last weekend after we talked about it um because r.i.p christopher Plummer, that movie rules it does um talked to barb and star and then uh rewatched before sunset because it was on hbo and i am completely incapable of not watching that movie if it comes across like if i like hear in the distance that it's available for me to watch i watch it um is it your favorite of the before movies oh my god it's like my favorite movie (laughs) so yes (laughs) okay good i'd agree (laughs) yeah nick do you agree that before sunset movies oh yeah absolutely 
Okay, good. Good, good, good. Uh, We're all on the same page. It's, it's, God, what a perfect movie. Um, but yeah, no, Bar- Barb and Star was the, the only new movie I watched this week. And, I, and I feel bad calling it Barb and Star because I think I need to call it Barb and Star. Barb and Star. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun to say. That's a lot of fun uh, syllables in there. Yeah. All right, Nick, what'd you watch? Uh, so I watched um, Failsafe, which paired with uh, Doctor Strangelove. It's basically the same. Like I said, it's the same movie only. It's bleak instead of funny. Um, I watched the last two Maya Darren's from the disc, um, the Kino release, The Divine Horseman, The Living Gods of Haiti, and The Very Eye of Night. I watched Putney Swope, which is a Robert Downey Sr. movie. Yeah, I saw um, that. That was weird. Is, uh, a Sorry, you're getting a silent head shake from me. <laughs> for Putney Swope? <laughs> yes. Oh. Not not for Putney Swope, the movie. But. For my favorite screen cap. <laughs> my new favorite. Uh, my new favorite screen cap. Be, be friends with Nick and get screen caps with uh, <laughs> questionable quotes on them. Get all your, your uh, racist screen caps against uh, my uh. own against my own people. But uh, you, that, <laughs> You're like, I'm allowed. Yeah, I'm allowed. You guys can't use it. Uh, <laughs> but that, that movie's hilarious it's really like bizarre um it's sort of like hollywood shuffle in a way if you've seen that where it has like a bunch of little vignettes in it but uh just like a chaotic movie um Mm -hmm. i watched barb and star go to vista del mar of course um judas and the black messiah which is the new lakeith stanfield daniel kaluuya movie about fred hampton and his assassination which is really good um I'm still a little bit bothered by the Academy trying to make me consider this a 2020 movie when it clearly came out in 2021. Yeah, so, I haven't quite. Yeah, my my big my biggest personal concern is how do I categorize my own rankings in my own head? Yeah, because I need my rankings to line up with Oscars, and I I just I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna count it as 2021. Um, the Academy. I'm proud of you. That the takes Academy. a lot of guts to be able to that be like... That takes a lot of... See, I don't know... Well, I guess we'll have to decide. I don't yeah. know if I have that kind of strength. The, the, no, I'm not no, that independent. Here's the thing. I'm here's the thing. Barb and Star came out the sheet? same week. I understand. Mm-hmm. The tiebreaker... Barb and Star should also be eligible. Give Jamie Dornan you, Best right. Supporting Actor. Exactly. Right now. Best costume design with his fish shirt. Yes. The fish shirt. But if anyone out there can get... Can, and can man, see yeah. if they have yeah. a yeah. Best Cameo uh, category. Oh, my God. There's, Which one? I, we literally can't talk about the, the amazing the cameo. It's uh, <laughs> there's about three that I would I would really highly point out. Damon Wayans yeah, Jr. is so funny in that movie. Oh, oh my, my god. god! Every line he gives is just a banger. Damn it! He's so, oh my god! His name, he has like that ridiculous name with like Gurkle or something. It's so funny. What, yeah, what is it? Yeah, that oh, that's the only of the makes no sense. <laughs> quote, so quote funny. cameos. I feel okay mentioning because yeah, he's because in the he, trailer he, he, at least he, uh-huh. and he shows up and has a few lines yeah darley bunkle darley bunkle <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. the collar no. id yeah. damn it cool. <laughs> no the uh, you can probably i mean there's there's a funny cameo at the end but oh my god the cameo in the middle like i i just had i to pause screamed I screamed too. It's so. God. Wait, which which Truly. which cameo? You don't have to say who it is. Uh, but, uh, okay, th- this scene. is. Hold on. This is what I'm going to say. Bleep. Um, That's you bleeping out when you tell Nick who it is. It's uh, Tommy Bahama. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I literally screamed. I, I also screamed. I did. I mean, I know I know that's what kids on the internet say, but like I did literally go like, ah, when he showed yeah. up. So. Yeah, I screamed great. like Barb and Star would have screamed. Truly one of our, truly one of our, our finest. Yeah. Oh, God, so good. Um, so w- what but I was going to say I about mean, the... The, also the, the final time. cameo just wow yeah the final, oh, the final cameo, cameo is, is lovely yeah oh my god um, the, the consideration of what year even letterbox oh. has judas as 2021 and i yeah. feel like yeah. they tend to skew very early you so know, what sucks about all this is that the oscars did this back forever ago because they thought it would give movies time to open up in theaters and have all these movies you know be in theaters before the oscars None of that ever happened. Right. And at this point, it's a mess for no reason. They yeah. could have just left it. There were enough good movies from last year. It didn't make a difference. It did not give enough time for theaters to reopen. So now we're stuck with this weird oddity of this extra three months with no actual benefit because yep. ugh, it's infuriating. Yeah, they screwed up. Uh, but yeah, Judas, yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah is on HBO right now. And um, just incredible three uh like um the two i'm not entirely certain if uh kaluuya would be considered leader supporting he'll probably they're get, they're pu- i think they're pushing him supporting they're going again, supporting yeah, which and i saw I, I, like a a tweet that said like their um, screen time is like seconds difference between lakeith and yeah. kaluuya i mean i'm i'm okay like i'm not wed to screen time as the ultimate yeah Decision. I'm. Plop. Is it? I mean, is is. It, uh, I'm blanking on the person's real name, but is the Lakeith Stanfield character like he's the one we're following, right? Yeah, it's he's his, he's certainly the protagonist, story. and um, Fred Hampton does. I mean, it's not a spoiler that Fred Hampton goes to jail, so he does right. disappear for a you know a decent chunk of the movie, and I think from like a you know Judas and Jesus, and he's he's following mm-hmm. this person. Um, it makes a little bit more sense to have him as being considered a supporting. So right. I don't have a problem with that. But Jesse Plemons is also incredible in this movie. Just well, like he always he's, is. He's, he's always so good, even playing like the biggest he's, creepers. He's really even in shitty niche. movies like uh, <laughs> crap, I can't think of to, uh, what's the name? Don't I can't even think of whose name we've already name. forgotten. Yeah. I'm thinking of ending things. I'm thinking oh, of ending oh things. right, right, right. Um, very good in that. And then he I, is very good in that, honestly. I think Do- Dominique Fishback, who plays... Um, I wanted to ask you what you thought of her. I think this is the first thing I've ever seen her in, and she should definitely be getting attention from awards groups. She's fantastic in this as Fred Hampton's girlfriend. Um, it, it almost seems like when uh, Malcolm X came out in 1990, and for some reason uh, the Oscars and all the awards focused entirely on denzel washington's performance which they should but uh mm. oh shoot what's the name of the person that plays uh his wife in that movie uh angela bassett angela bassett yeah um oh, I didn't, I didn't even, she's I didn't, so I didn't even good know that she played his wife in that movie because nobody talked exactly about it. it's not really like part of the marketing campaign of that movie or part of any of the right. awards campaign but she is like yeah. wildly good in that movie too yeah, yeah she's i mean she's good in everything I'm, it, yeah, true. Um, so, Nick, can I ask you two quick questions about your recent watches? Yes. What besides Meshes of the Afternoon is your favorite Maya Darren uh, short? Um, I really liked The Very Eye of Night 
That's probably my second favorite okay. one. I would say. Gotcha. And uh, you have to only pick one of these movies as the better movie. Judas and the Black Messiah or Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> uh, I, I would go Judas and the Black Messiah. Ah! Yeah. Uh, I have one last movie that I watched uh, last okay. night, which which was The Cloud Capped Star, which is a Ritwick Gatta oh, movie. Another Bengali movie. I'm dying movie. to see that movie. Um, it's it's quite good. It's very upsetting. <laughs> um, but oh, yeah, really? it's, it's yeah, it's it's really good. It, it looks great. Um, I I don't want to compare like just since they're the only like Bengali movies I've seen this and the Satyajit Ray movies. Um, but I do think there are a lot of good parallels between this and the Apu trilogy specifically, including like the train in the background being a recurrent visual uh, symbol that they use. And then a lot of stuff about like class struggles and things like that. But um, it's a little bit more, I feel like he tends to focus a little bit more on like the, outdoor scenery mm-hmm. i guess than than ray does but um I, I don't quite like it as much as the abu trilogy but it's there are songs in this movie correct uh a little bit but not not the way like a typical bollywood movie is uh, okay. like one of the one of the characters is a singer or, or an inspiring oh, singer. okay so there are some like s- songs that he sings and then there's like a couple songs that are like playing as a part of the score but it's not like is it the is it the anil Chatterjee character yeah 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 what did you think of him in that movie he's really good i so that was another thing like um is is he related to sumitra Chatterjee? i don't i don't think so yeah i I don't think i don't think so either and Chatterjee is like a like not a an obscure last name it's a relatively common um last name but he he sort of looks like Sumitra Chatterjee too. Uh, he, he looks, looks like, like his so, older brother. He, he's he's like a less attractive, like slightly chubbier <laughs> version of, and, and that's no like. I mean, Sumitra Chatterjee was a very good looking young man, so no slight on Anil, but yeah, that's that's sort of what I was like. Oh, it's like uh, a less good looking version of of him. But he he's really good in it. Uh, the lead performance, who uh, the actress's name escapes me at the moment, but um, she's it's incredible. Uh, Supira Chaudhary. Yeah. Um, um, my my uh, letterbox just said, uh, "What if Al Hazard Balthazar, but about a person?" So that kind of gives you an idea of what this what you're getting into when you watch this movie. Jesus, um, warning inter- received. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah Anil Chatterjee is one of the two leads in the Big City, which I consider oh, okay. Rise best film. Um, but not as good as the uh, Apu trilogy on the whole. Is as a whole, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, All and right. I would say um, I, I like this better than um, Aparajito, which was my least favorite of the three Apu trilogy movies, but I still think... Um, <laughs> my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but I mean, they're this is, all, this is it again. Uh, Nick is Petar Panchali, <laughs> I think, and then you're Aparajito, and I'm Upper Sansar. Yeah, so. yeah I, I would say Pather Control is the best of, of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's lots like in between the the World mm. of the Pooh trilogy movies for me. It's really good. So yeah. I would definitely recommend it. Nice. All righty. Um, 
As always, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod, and then you can follow our buddy Scott Brady on Twitter at S Brady Artist, who does our artwork. And next week we are talking about Duck Soup, which is a movie that I had pulled up earlier to see where it's <laughs> streaming to let people know where they can away follow from it. it. <laughs> and I closed it, which is why I'm talking weird right now. It's rentable on uh, iTunes. And that's the only thing that's popping up for me. So Really? Oh, God. Yeah. Um, I see it as... You could probably also, run it on Prime, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah it's I rentable guess, on yeah. Amazon and YouTube. The, the usual places, yeah. 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 Um, totally not at all similar to... 69 minutes long. How exciting. And Jenna's happy. Um, <laughs> nice. Totally not similar themes to Doctor Strangelove at all. Definitely not. It's sort of, yeah, yeah, that's a good pairing that we're doing this and Strangelove yes, sort of back-to-back. It's uh, basically the same movie, but one's a satire and one's a farce. Where uh, yeah. they would throw pies so in each other's faces. Did they throw and, pies in people's faces in this one? Uh, do they? They could. <laughs> I don't they, remember. They I, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, so I'm looking forward to revisiting it. Same. I think there is maybe some food fighting at the end of this movie, but uh, let's see if I'm remembering that correctly i also get all of the marx brothers movies confused to the point where i'm not sure which ones i've seen and haven't the thing is yeah. is i just gotta knock down which one has which setting like this one is the war uh night at the opera is the opera horse feathers is the football game it, yeah. once you kind of get that it, it's easy but otherwise they're basically the same movie yeah yeah <laughs> And then Strange Love, um, I'd said to you guys earlier, is on Criterion right now, but it's about to leave at the end of the month. So if you want to squeeze one last viewing in, if you didn't watch it, you better hurry up. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. As always, Roger out. Roger out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.